हेलो असलाकुम नमस्ते बॉर्डर पॉडकास्ट सर बैक इट्स एन ऑनर हमारी कोई कोविड के दौरान दो तीन साल पहले गुफ्तु हुई थी और उसके बाद से अमन की आशा तो खत्म हो गई है लेकिन हमारे अभिनंदन सिंह प्रोडक्शन में रह चुके हैं सैटायर करते हैं प्रोड्यूस करते हैं न्यूज करते हैं I don't consume it as much as he does, but yes, I have seen your work, and I must congratulate you for uh, the kind of uh, courage you show, the kind of things you talk about, how you talk about them, and I want to know that. But uh, how how do you still manage to get around uh, being able to say what you say? <laughs> uh, let's just say there was a chance this podcast wouldn't have happened today. Let's just say that and end it there. I think uh, people in both our countries who are watching this would be like, if you are talking, exchange it, do it. मुझे गो टू इंडिया बोलते हैं आपको गो टू पाकिस्तान somebody in the comments are like, बस एक इधर उधर हो जाओ ना दो क्योंकि वहाँ पर भी insult होता है go to India. नहीं होती हमारे वही चीजें हाईलाइट होती हैं न्यूज की वेर पाकिस्तान इज मेंशन इन इंडियन न्यूज सो टू अस इट फील्स लाइक इट्स बीइंग मेंशनड अ लॉट मोर आई डोंट नो इफ दैट्स ट्रू वेल नो इट्स नॉट बीइंग मेंशनड इन न्यूज अ लॉट आई मीन इट्स स्टिल एन इशू नाउ एंड देन यू नो इट इज पॉलिटिकली एक्सपीडिएंट यू नो टू यूज इट नाउ एंड देन इट इज देयर इज अ हिस्ट्री बिटवीन आवर कंट्रीज ऑफ द वे इट इज बट इट्स इंटरेस्टिंग टू नो दैट नाउ दैट एक्सेप्टेंस ऑफ इनफोर्स वन समटाइम्स गेट्स दैट We, we we are not competing with india because from the economic military might it's 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 in a different zone and i think there are many lessons for you know both to learn on this but i'm not sure if if uh, you know anyone's going to learn those lessons uh, but uh, i i think uh, the go to pakistan kind of insult is still very much a mainstream thing um any uh, that the anti-muslim rhetoric uh, is at an all-time high that i you know in my i'm going to be 50 next year and i've been in news since 20 i don't remember that rhetoric i mean that there were patches like you know during a certain time it was big in maharashtra during a certain time it was big in gujarat during a certain time it was big in up but the general you know there were pockets of this extreme anti-muslim rhetoric but it was not it didn't have the kind of pervasiveness across the country as it does now so in that context if uh, you know you have to stand up for a minority or you have to say anything go to pakistan is still a, it's a, it's a you know well used and dependable fallback option for people who can't come up with anything else used as a conspiracy theory in pakistan the government happened just a couple of days ago and i think the ig said ke koi raw se links hain to wo jab security labs hote hain aap bol to dete hain but i don't think anybody is getting votes on that at this anti americans imran khan ne kiya that was much more populous much stronger than anything anti india that a political party can use now to get 
Yeah, but you know, I know you've called me on your podcast, but I had one question, you know, because I I don't so often get to talk to people uh, from Pakistan, especially people as outspoken as you, because I was telling you I saw your uh, podcasts in which you actually discussed uh, why Pakistan did not live up to whatever it could have the potential, etc. On the economic might, India and Pakistan. You've done one. Uh, there was another wonderful young articulate man on that podcast with you. um uh, sorry what's his name zayunus uh, i don't remember the name but i remember that conversation it was uh, i mean i was a little surprised by um, how honestly and frankly you could discuss that without any fear of repercussion for example uh, you know if one was to take that kind of position in a in a, in a media a podcast here even people who are very well meaning would hold back because one can't acknowledge that you know we are not good enough on x so if i was to say that look uh, you know recently there was the attack on uh, churches and some christians in in pakistan i think your chief justice went there himself many of your film stars tweeted that this is disgusting and stuff like that um so on you know that pakistani film stars are more outspoken about attacks on minorities if someone to say that i am in a shit house with anyone so i don't care so i am not the typical person but even people well meaning people who want to kind of have a space and you know cannot come out and so discuss honestly that you know x is better than us at y yet you did that on e- the, the economic might and the general uh, development in india you face no pushback you don't face any even my well meaning people that you know the national pride that how can you do that it, how, how, there's no pushback we have barely over 100000 subscribers so we're very niche we're not a mainstream tv channel uh, so maybe we're not reaching out to the masses where we would get that pushback but no essentially no uh, we've been doing a few of these podcasts where we're dissecting history which we've gone even further where we're discussing the role of our founders the mistakes they might have made the issues uh, initially that arose and how they were dealt with there's been a bit more pushback over that because it's along the lines of what's the point of revisiting history it won't help us today but in terms of the mistakes we are making today there is a lot more anti state sentiment in pakistan these days and it's a lot more acceptable so some of the things which are said by supporters of uh, one of our most popular parties pti things we say seem mild in comparison because at least we're doing it academically there is wide abuse online against state institutions I I won't say that acceptable but I do feel uh it, it it's happening so often that there's only so much they can curb now not to undermine uh the the attacks on civil liberties in Pakistan which are happening these days where people are being picked up and people are being arrested so that threat always looms large over you but uh, one must be brave I guess I think that's a mantra both of us hold to and and uh, but jinnah still out of bounds you can't discuss jinnah with honesty no, no, like we had Ishtiaq Ahmed on the podcast two times. His book on Jannah was pretty much launched on our podcast. We just did a podcast with Tessel Badaij where we discussed Jannah. We just did a podcast with Adil Azal where we discussed uh, the two nation theory. So we've had Parvez Gutboy come and he's discussed his new book. So that pretty much nothing is out of bounds at this point. I see. Okay. All right. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, you're taking the risk every single time you do it. Galiya khane ki adat ho gayi hai, so it's not much tension. अब लेता नहीं 
No, but but here you can uh, abuse Bapu and still be in uh, in the Lok Sabha. You can be a member of Parliament, and it's it's very it's it, it's very uh, fashionable to abuse Bapu right now. So, ah, I mean, the one trip I've made to Pakistan, you know, one can be critical of a lot of things. I still thought that Jinnah is out of bounds. You, you can't make fun of him without... You can't abuse and you can't make fun of him, but you can discuss, like, for instance, I've discussed multiple times that he went to East Pakistan and he said your uh, national language will be Urdu. And I've discussed the repercussions of that and how that sparked the Bengal language movement that led to the creation of Bangladesh. You can discuss it like that. You can't outright abuse him. I think that you'll get an FIR if you outright start abusing him. In terms of Gandhi, why is this revisionist history happening? Because we did some podcasts, we were praising them, and there were a lot of comments were like, Pakistani What is this changing narrative on Gandhi in India? Well, I mean, uh, it is, I'm, I'm still learning more and more. In fact, I'm, I'm uh, reading this uh, really good book uh, on uh, Vajpayee and the Hindu right by a former colleague, actually. Um, the book is called Vajpayee, The Ascent of the Hindu Right, 1924 to 1977. It's been written by Abhishek Chaudhary. He is a former colleague at News Laundry. You know, I'm learning a lot more. The, the hatred of Bapu is not a new thing, actually, uh, in at least uh, some very traditional RSS kind of uh, mind uh, ideologues. You know, the more I read now of non-fiction from credible authors, it was always there big time. You know, Bapu was someone they really despised. And I think the mistake that uh, we made uh, early on in India, I mean, you can tell us what you think the mistakes that you made, that we kind of glossed over that there were people who really despised Bapu. And I think it should have been taught in history like everything else. Like, one shouldn't finish school thinking that the whole country loved Bapu. You know, even while Bapu was fasting and went to Calcutta, there were dharnas saying that let the old man die. That did happen. You know, there are, you know, historical accounts of this from credible people have written about this. And I think the fact that we were not ever taught that is the problem, which is why now it's coming back with this venom and viciousness, whereas it could have been countered earlier in more effective ways. So I think... It's not new, but the voice of those who always hated him now is loud and is buland. People like that have a carte blanche in, you know, the kind of they can, the impunity with which they can act. Uh, many people of that disposition are elected and given tickets. Many people of that disposition, uh, although are completely illiterate and uh, ignorant on matters of pedagogy and, and, and uh, uh, what do you call uh, education are on panels advising what courses should be studied. So those people are always there. Now they have the microphone. I think that's the difference. It's not new in that sense. In terms of uh, there's academic work, there's a book which Ali Usman Kasmi has edited called Muslims Against Muslim League. You can academically study what happened, how it happened. But in terms of nation building, you're always building heroes which may not stand up to the image that you take. Uh, Martin Luther King has faced accusations of being a womanizer, but that does not stand or that does not maybe lower his credence as a leader of the civil rights movement. Sure. Even if you talk about the American founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson was the slave owner, but he goes ahead and says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that mm -hmm. gets projected and somehow 
that is internalized as the image of an American, of, of a free person. So in terms of nation building, the image of Gandhi that's been projected, which may ignore some things he did in South Africa, some things he said. Uh, what's your take on such projection of heroes uh, in an effort to build the nation? So, I mean, I must first, you know, give a f- disclosure that Bapu is my hero. Um, just in my office opposite, where you can't see, there is a poster of his with uh, text which says disobey below that. Of course, people who walk into my office and people who I've just hired look at it and say, so do you want us to disobey? I'm like, dude, there's a context to that poster. <laughs> but uh, there's a, you know, there, there's one right here. A friend of mine had done, uh, that's that's Bapu. So, so, so you'll see Bapu everywhere in my office and in my house. Having said that, I think he was a flawed man, like all people are. But as a man, he was the wisest and smartest and greatest who has ever walked the earth, in my view. Uh, and I just was giving this example. Last week, we recorded a podcast with uh, his great-grandson, Rajmohan Gandhi, who was prevented from going to the Azad Maidan. Every year, they have August Kranti. They do a commemoration. This year, the police did not allow him to move. He says the first time it's happened. He's a wonderful man, his, his great-grandson. And I asked him, because there is this podcast which I must recommend to you if you haven't already heard it, which has a fant- one episode is on this Martin Luther King that that march where uh, you know that dog. It's called the Rest is History. This one, have you have you heard this? Oh man, it has one episode on Martin Luther King. You must listen to it. So I think you're right. Uh, you know Martin Luther King, not just uh, you know was was he known as a womanizer there talking about how the plans were being made for that march and the women were just there to make sandwiches. It was very sexist. In fact, uh, you know, one of the presenters says that the spin-off of the feminist movement was also came from this civil liberties and civil rights because the women just didn't have a role there. And, and he was asked that, should we not have children lead that march? Because they knew they're white officers with those big Alsatian dogs. Uh, he says, because kids are at risk because they're 14, 15-year-old kids. And Martin Luther King says, no, a dog attacking us is not going to move the nation like a dog attacking a child. So one could say, oh, my God, he put children in harm's way for his cause. Uh, and in this context, I had asked, asked Rajman Gandhi that, you know, Bapu, uh, there's this dialogue in this film, uh, uh, Shah Rukh Khan, who I love, Rais, where he says, daring." he plays this Gujarati Muslim drug lord. Uh, so I was like, you know, Bapu had Baniyaka Dimag and Miyavaiki daring because he knew what would work. And do you think it always came from a position of idealism or good political opportunism? And Rajmohan was smart, you know, you know, astute and aware enough to say that Bapu knew politics. And that's why he, like the Hindu Mahasabha got demolished in an election. Like Bapu was not, he did not inherit some throne. Yeah. And he was not an outcome of a, a movement that's, started at a Carter based 100 years ago where the person today is benefiting from that. He set up the movement, led it and took it to a level in his lifetime. Uh, so I, I, so so A, that is what I think he had. I think to, to kind of uh, idolize them in a sense of giving them godlike status, I'm against, which is why I prefer calling him Bapu and not Mahatma. 
because uh, that kind of gives him this above human level i think bapu is something personal we love him like a bapu and he had his flaws there's a very good documentary that i saw on rasulan bai several years ago and there was a big bai culture in banaras and uh, these bais were courtesans and it wasn't considered i mean they, they weren't uh, you know sex workers they were artists but it still wasn't considered because they would they would sing to entertain it wasn't considered an honorable profession and when bapu had asked for contributions you know for money and through clothes and jewelry to fund uh, the movement for independence the bais they had got together and you know because they had money they had access to wealthy people they had contributed a significant amount and bapu had said i will not take from you because uh, you are not uh, honorable women you are we don't want you. and i thought that was that was not nice it was uh, a crappy thing to do uh, but you know that doesn't mean he wasn't an amazing man he was a man who was a product of his times he was sexist in his own way i think bas full potential wasn't realized because bapu was a product of his time it was all about bapu and and, and ba was like you know the, the the supporting cast and so he was a flawed man i think you know the demonizing him is an outcome of making him a god i think if you can have a scrutiny of our heroes in a fair way it actually benefits society and it prevents complete polarization although it hasn't prevented that in the us i think american uh, historically and culturally through the podcasts and all the stuff i consume they can actually make films on dissect their leaders you know way be- way more honestly than pakistanis or indians whether it is a family guy in pakistan or india yeah there's no chance or, or you can't even have a film like gfk you know you cannot have a film like uh, vietnam war pe itni jo bani hai you know up you cannot have an honest film about uh, indo pak war of you know like for example i have spoken to people who fought the kargil war and they tell me about this one guy who they were all so impressed by they could see he was like they said we get him we'll take on that you know, the guys who had occupied tiger and they finally got him he was on our side and when the body was sent back they said that you know our commander in his fist he gave a parcha saying this guy fought like a lion i i forget his name now you cannot make colonel sher khan see so and and they but to, and those guys will tell you this in person but you cannot make an honest film about heroes on both sides you know you cannot i cannot make an honest film today about uh, the babri demolition and i cannot make an honest film about Uh, about the golden temple uh, the assault on the golden temple and the congress is in power culturally and uh, and similarly for you you cannot make an honest film about let's say you know zr if if zero is in power so but having said that even america having been able to dissect its heroes way more honestly it hasn't prevented polarization there either so i don't know if that actually is an effective Uh, way to provide insulation to polarization because it hasn't worked but i think it should be done it makes institutions more robust the absolute freedom of speech trump has turned that on its head and then the, the era of polarization and social media has made democracy question its own ideals 
uh, maybe that's a separate discussion. When I was in the US, I met a civil rights leader who was part of this Million March, and she was a woman, and she spoke about the same thing. And she also spoke about how Martin Luther King was savvy enough to know when there'll be cameras, when to appear, when to not put your life at risk. But as we said, human beings are flawed. Uh, would you also say that something similar is also happening to Nehru? Because I've also seen a lot of Indian comments, and this is just me judging by Indian comments on my YouTube videos. So my pool uh, by which I'm judging this is very, very small. There's also, it's, it's a lot more critical of Nehru than maybe some people in Pakistan are. We do appreciate a lot of the things Nehru did because we feel like we couldn't do those things like land reforms, things like just shaping the country in his image, which Kaidazam couldn't do and we're still fighting over what kind of Pakistan Kaidazam wanted. Is that, is that revisionism around Nehru as well in India? I think it is, but again, I don't think it's, it's new. Um, it was always there, but now those people have the microphone. I think uh, there have been certain pretty honest takes on Nehru. I think even uh, people like Guha have kind of written about him fairly honestly in you know, Ramchandra Guha's India After Gandhi. Um, there have been other books. I mean, I have read books on Savarkar, uh, you know, which paint Nehru in a less than ideal light. So I think there has been scrutiny of Nehru way more than of Babu. I don't think it's a new thing. I think, like I said, it is. It has become something of a fashion because uh, it it gives you voice. It it it's a it's a it's a call for a certain idea ideology, uh, who are extremely aggressive. I mean, you can be of a certain ideology, but not be the nutters in that space. So that you know, and I don't think it is unfair or untrue that. Like everything has been named after Nehru. I think it's a bit much from, you know, stadiums to universities to this to that. Like everything is Nehru. I generally don't think, you know, that's a great idea. Uh, whether back then it was okay or not, I mean, I don't know. But I think maybe it's a pushback to that. But it's fundamentally, I think it is an ideological clash that has come to head today. Because the RSS, which was fundamentally opposed to Nehru's idea of India. His vision of India and, uh, you know, Guruji's vision of India, Guru Golvalkar's or Hedkevar's, was very different. It was not at all similar. And it is after a very long time that ideology has a voice that is as loud as Nehru's. Because otherwise Nehru's voice was the loudest. In the sense of not his, you know what I'm saying, you know, what whatever, you know, he had kind of set off. So that's why you hear it, it's new. Uh, but I don't think it didn't exist earlier. It's just that the balance is a little more now. Uh, I, 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 I do think that only a man like Nehru could have got India from the 40s to you know, the 60s. I don't think any other leader, you know, anyone, could have negotiated India through that tumultuous period and kept it together. Because the more you read about it, unfortunately, most you know praise as well as hate comes from ignorance. Uh, I don't think today's generation realizes how India was on the brink of shattering. It was not. It was not independence. Every day, someone wanted to go off on their own, and only Nehru could have kept it together. And I do think Nehru was elitist. I think he came from that slightly edgy mindset. I think. Pakistani elite have that problem more than Indian elite because the the, the 
the rich poor because they didn't have the kind of reformist movements like land reform etc an ambedkar or a periyar was not there uh, so when i the only time i've come to pakistan and the one or two pakistani friends i did have i realized that the there are two worlds the rich and poor are so living in completely different worlds india is a little more we're all pushing against each other although now it's becoming a little more separate which i think is dangerous i think i've, I've seen lots of talks where if if they become two cocoons the country kind of shatters uh, but in pakistan that so i think nehru was a bit elitist but that is a small price to pay for being able to do what he had and keeping india for most part secular ideals were important and i think are still important for a very large chunk of indians the anti colonial part of the indian movement really helped how india was shaped whereas i think the leaders on the pakistan side tended to be more colonial in their ways of governance more colonial in the uh, reverence towards uh, certain ideals which they thought uh, pakistan would be formed on so we did have those clashes as well in our history we're not uh, told those stories as loudly i mean bacha khan is somebody that most of pakistan might not be aware but uh, his work quite seminal uh, if we do talk about changing india these ideas seem pretty vague especially to people sitting in pakistan they might just latch on to certain anecdotes or certain points and pretend that things have changed so if we are to personalize the story coming from a family where your dadi was congress till she dies and your father was congress then went to bjp then went to aam aadmi party can we personalize this idea of changing india to your family and can you explain to us how it's changing wow you really done your research man i spoke to your family ye hai mera naam hai farooq sheikh aur ye hai aapki zindagi <laughs> so you probably heard this from my podcast so is, is that right yeah my my now you know that i for, i for example i have voted um in the i think early 2000s i voted mayawati a couple of times because i thought the entire caste dynamic was the biggest problem in india and many people would have all sorts of things to say about mayawati she's corrupt i was like as if the congress leaders aren't you know it's not like you have a problem with her corruption because of perceived corruption you know ya to convicted because of where she comes from you are okay with that kind of corruption if that person is in south delhi and you went to school with his son uh, and you engage with them at parties that's okay but mayawati she cannot be uh, you know so uh, I, i have voted mayawati i have voted uh, atal ji uh, then i have not voted also few times i was like this is pointless exercise uh, then i have uh, uh, but yeah i have never voted modi i mean i had no illusions about what that would be about but in my own family my dadi i could never understand when she said hum to congressi hain what does that mean but at the same time one part of my family that actually came from pakistan uh, they say we will vote for the sang that does mean they'll vote for bjp and it is from them that i realized that the sang and the bjp aren't all the time one that's when the sang comes and tells us to vote communist we'll vote communist but we will vote what the sang says because this was a generation you know this is uh, my my grandfather guy grandmother's relatives who had come from lahore they said when we came here the people who actually took care of us here was the sang so we owe them our life and our existence so we will do what they say so i've had people in my family who said hum to sang hi hain 
जो संघ बोलेगा हम वो करेंगे but you know i i do think that different people um I, like for example i don't condemn everybody and that is again a problem in the polarized times that anyone who votes bjp or bigot sanghi i i don't think that's productive and it's not even true some deplorables sorry how hillary was like it's a basket of deplorables who vote for trump yeah exactly so that idea many people who i know who are reasonable rational decent people vote for modi they have their reasons you know and the thing is that because we are in the news we think everybody consumes news like us mm. they don't i have friends who are extremely well read they are informed they don't know sambit patra when i say but you know this is how can a man like sambit patra mean that they know sambit patra and these people are not some ignoramuses they are like heading big big organizations they are like you know heading departments and entire verticals and multinationals and banks they don't consume news like we do so for them they don't know sadhvi pragya they don't know sambit patra they don't care so their understanding of bjp is very different from my understanding of bjp that tajender bagga has been given the kind of position he has so every decision of the bjp i'm scrutinizing okay so this is what is rewarded whereas there is an entire chunk of people who don't know that in jantar mantar there was a uh you know uh, protest where anti muslim slogans they don't know i think it's sad there's that apathy but not everybody who votes a certain way represents the entire fringe of that that ideology and i think that's true for any party it's true for bjp it's 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 true i don't think everyone who votes communists wants a revolution you know i i don't think they even want equality or equity so it's complicated and especially in a country like india it's complicated like uh, one thing that i have always said and and you know and i've said this it's specifically true i think i may have tweeted this also true for india and pakistan specifically is that on certain aspects the liberals are very liberal on certain aspects they are not like for example both in india and pakistan the elite who are who for whom religion is poo poo they will be very liberal and progressive on religion and the mullahs or the you know sadhus but on uh, on, on economic inequality or the feudal mindset on that they are not at all liberal like one village doesn't have water to drink but your palace has the swimming pool so i can put there is no liberalism there there it is feudal and it is very unique to indians and pakistanis where the liberalism is very selective unique though i mean isn't the hollywood elite the same that they're going to charter a plane 
uh, for a conference, but then preach about the environment. I mean, the Pakistani elite tends to be particularly intellectually bogus uh, because they're also pro-establishment, they're pro-military, they're anti-democracy. Uh, so the elite in Pakistan, I don't think is even liberal or they even pretend to be liberal. Okay. Well, uh, interesting point that you make. I, I think this whole, uh, and I've, there was a lot of criticism about this, uh, you know, private jets, the amount of private jets that went for COP22, uh, etc. But uh, I do think that is not uniform. And that is a, a new age kind of paradox we got to figure out. Uh, you know, because when, like, for example, a friend of mine who gets very offended when people give him this whole environmental thing of eating meat. Um, and especially, like, you know, especially beef. Because people who have a religious stake give it an environmental twist. Uh, so Rocky, he tweets about it all the time. Uh, but then I saw another paper which he had shared with me that how much water it takes to grow almonds and almond milk. So, so, but your almond milk is taking more water than my cow is taking milk. So, you know, you can get into what is actually doing more damage. But I I get the larger point you're making. I, I think these private jets are a newer thing. But you're absolutely right on being these environmental warriors and flying private, uh, which I don't have a clear position on it yet. But it, on the face of it, sounds a bit hypocritical. But I think there's something unique on the inconsistencies of this subcontinent's uh, liberals. They're an extremely convenient liberals. It's it's very um, what works for me. It's it's less ideological. It's more practical. He has unfettered wealth. I mean, Elon Musk can be liberal on freedom of speech, but he's not a liberalist. They're worth eight billion dollars or however much worth he is. So if you're in that bracket. I think it's impossible for you to be liberal in the truest sense. Sure. The embodiment sure. of income inequality and everything wrong with you. And even when it comes to the establishment, right? It's not like the US elite will ever go against the US military, despite the US military being the single biggest polluter in the world. Right. True. I mean, in America, the army is like, yeah. you cannot say anything. At the, but again, by their standards, they can still make a film like. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was widespread protests against the Vietnam War. Exactly. I, I think in India and Pakistan, you cannot make a film critical of the army. You can't do that, no matter what. Uh, so America, I think the standards are very different when we compare ourselves to America. It's society. It's, I mean, it's 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 a different kind of standard as as opposed to here. So even institutionally, if we are juxtaposing the two, there's an idea in the U.S. which you mentioned that. Not necessarily everybody who votes for Trump is a racist. In the black community might say, you might not be a racist, but you're willing to forego racism for economic needs or for anything else. Would you say the same logic applies in India and, and even in Pakistan for people who vote for parties which are akin to Trump? Our Trump would be Iran. No, I don't think people... I mean, of course, there are some who are in that zone who think bigotry is an acceptable price to pay for personal comfort. Uh... And I think there were a lot of people like that in Nazi Germany as well. But I think, <clears throat> at least in India, and probably the same is true for Pakistan, a lot of people are genuinely not aware of the level of, of uh, divisiveness. 
they genuinely do not consume news in the sense not even a fraction of what we do they don't see it as bigotry genuinely i think there are a lot of such people um uh, and i think that's unfortunate <coughs> and that's a failure of of education that's a failure of our entire political process of kind of keeping people engaged politically um uh, i mean since i traveled a lot making travel shows i realized that context is very important like you know when i used to go to the northeast and i made a few trips there to you know arunachal mizoram nagaland manipur uh, we went to sikkim also we the youth there are party agnostic they actually do not give a shit and it's not because someone is bigoted or not bigoted or religion their demands are very today you see not everybody is looking 10 years mein kya hoga 20 years mein kya hoga is it today so it's not the question is not in their head that am i sacrificing you know uh, 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 civilized society for personal comfort and exchanging it for bigotry in the future that question is not there in their head so i think it's very complicated and that is why you have so many people who swing right i mean you just see the vote share that can move like 5% move from here to there it's not like th- th- those 5% like even in america to an extent you know the same people who tended obama just 3% of them got trump you know what i'm saying so so uh, it's i i think it's and also there are a lot of people who don't vote like brexit if brexit would happen today i don't think and i remember all the data that came out back then that the people above 65 the vote percentage of that was theirs was above 70 percent of them voted and people below 25 just you know not even 30% of them voted you know some who are just not involved in the political process so i i mean it's 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 complicated which is why i think as often as possible i try to engage with most people but once they cross a certain line of having said something that you know acha hua bulldozer chal gaye acha hua iska ye hua acha hua uska sar uda diya then i don't engage with them because that means they know what's happening and endorse it yes but one something that never gets mentioned about electoral politics in pakistan is as well is the person in the village who's voting he's voting because he feels this person would be able to bring water to my house he really doesn't care about their policies or even their party ticket the same person will win with the ppp ticket in 2008 with the pmnn ticket 2013 and a pti ticket in 2018 because the village feels like this is the person that i can go to if tomorrow my roads broken if my child is sick so that personal stakes of electoral politics don't get discussed enough um that being said wo jo ek meme bhi bahut india mein ban chali thi ki chronology samjhe in pakistan i can maybe draw like a clear chronology from zayal haq from the ideas that he instilled from the ideas that he promoted he may not have had widespread acceptance but once you send those ideas into the world it might take a decade it might take two decades but this seep in and the nature of what a country is or a population fundamentally changes so do you feel like ki ye wohi chronology india mimic karne ki koshish kar raha hai or do you feel like india's secular values are much stronger than pakistan's have ever been uh, pakistan has made no qualms about being a religious state or at least an islamic is being an islamic republic you feel like the 
India will never become a Hindu Pakistan because of how strong historically the secular values of India have been. I've stopped using words like never. Maybe 10, 15 years I used to use such words. Maybe not 10, but 15, 20 years. I'm, I have, you know, with experience, you learn to uh, stop using absolute words because you've seen too much uh, that you never thought would happen. But I think it is highly unlikely and definitely less likely than Pakistan. A, because you said Pakistan was founded on a religious identity. Um, secondly, I think the multiculturalism in India is immense. Like, for example, there is more in common between a, someone from Punjab, India, and someone from Punjab, Pakistan. Then there is the Punjab, India, then with the person Arunachal Pradesh. The South is a great buffer from the Brahmanical Hindutva, Hindi, Hindu, Hindustan kind of thing from the rest, which is why you see the BJP's presence there is other than Karnataka is, is not like they haven't all, they, they're trying very hard. Similarly with the Northeast. I, I think with India, one cliche that is actually very true and which is why only a man like Nehru could have kept together is a unity in diversity. The diversity in India is amazing. And I can tell you, other than, uh, you know, my co-founder and two of my friends who are also the hosts of one of the travel shows that I used to make, um, I don't know many people who have traveled India the amount we did. Over nine years, we covered the whole country by road. Yeah. And covering it by road is, like, you go through districts, you spend nights, you have lunch. It is insanely diverse, man. The only state we did not uh, drive through was Tripura because the cost-benefit analysis of shooting a episodes there and the road conditions did not kind of allow us to go through. But otherwise, we went like we start from Kolkata, went all across Bengal, Assam, Arunachal, Nagaland, Mizoram, Manipur. You know, we Sikkim, we came back. It's a 28-day trip. We started from Kashmir and we went down to Kanyakumari. You know along the west coast, uh, Gujarat, Kutch, then we did the same thing from here, then we did zigzagging through. So the unity, in, and I think that is why it's going to be very difficult, or it's going to be, even the, the whole RSS project, from 1925, we're in 2024, it's taken 100 years for them to get that, what Guruji had envisaged, that power, and they're still not there. It may take 200 years, and now world changes too fast, with the internet, all bets are off. So I think that likelihood of that is very remote in India. That uniformity of a, 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 a religious identity being a primary identity. I don't think, uh, I, I think it's unlikely it will happen in my lifetime. Uh, and because of the pace of the world, I think India will get integrated into the rest of the world too fast for that to be a project that can be fulfilled. Uh, but that is the sorry, continue. No, but having said that, I do think that a critical mass of that has already been reached for that to become a significant voice. Just like a critical mass has been reached in America uh, or, or even uh, you know some of the new parties that have been floated in Germany that have won enough votes who think Hitler was a good idea. What I'm saying is it's not a... And I think social media has... I'm sure these people are... Scattered, like for example, in the early 2000s, I could not imagine sitting in a civilized, you know, 
gathering and someone saying that you know it, it's not all bad i think muslims need to be taught a lesson it i mean if you said that you would never be invited to any dinner party again there was no chance even if you thought that but i am sure every party of 15 people had two such people we just didn't know who they were social media those two people from every block have discovered each other now they have a party of 80 100 and they you know whether they are on whatsapp today they can sit and say that and because five others are scared they will not challenge them there will be two three like me who will say how can you say such a thing are you not ashamed and then people like us getting stopped and invited to parties but that's fine but but you you see, you see they are still not in the majority but they have reached a critical mass when these things get institutionalized things get become much worse i mean the party that pretends to be the most progressive out of the mainstream parties in pakistan is the pakistan people's party but to appease a far right they institutionalize certain laws and 50 years later they're blowing up in our faces a lot more and once once you put it into the constitution it might take 5 years it might take 10 years but at some point it crystallizes into a reality and then the calls of if you don't like it get out of our country there was somebody yesterday who was saying anything that we're doing it's as per the constitution so the caa yeah jaisi dipak was on uh, beer vices and he says liberals don't understand what caa actually is it's not anti muslim so what's your take on the caa yeah the thing is that the fact is that it's not gone anywhere after the election is is you see the the circularity of logic on that is that it does not impact indian citizens why are you scared but a combination of ca and nrc will we will decide who's an indian citizen but it does not impact indian citizens but we will decide who's an indian citizen so then basically the fate of every muslim is in your hands na don't worry you're an indian citizen it will not impact you but you know we will tell you who's an indian citizen so i think it's deeply problematic i i think the purpose of such things is is uh, elections it's on stay you know it's in limbo and what it has led to is in assam you know a few uh, these camps that are there which are scroll has done some fantastic reporting from which are deeply problematic so yeah i mean i i think it is not required i think there are many ways the problems or the perceived problems that they want to solve can be solved for i have no doubt these are dog whistles and uh, i mean i personally think that there is enough evidence around us to see where where this leads where this road goes so uh, yeah i i do not agree with the ca and rc at all in terms of the economic advancements and the technological advancements india has made over the past decade uh the podcast that you talked about with that you said you must be discussed there's this notion around the world that once societies evolve economically and reach a certain point even if we had to quote a maslow's hierarchy of needs on a personal level then these ideas of religious bigotry become less important i'm less likely to go burn somebody on the street if i'm well fed if i have a family if i have a good job anybody who's working for unilever is less likely to go and burn shit down on the street because they have too much to lose So, what's your take on this idea that the fears exist, but if India advances economically and is able to provide economically to a critical mass of people, then these voices or this violence will always remain on the fringe, as opposed to becoming a mass movement? You know, I, I don't have a very um, thought through and 
dogmatic position on this, but I have a few thoughts. Uh, I think generally that logic may be kind of true because for that last mile violence, uh, even people who sit in drawing rooms and say, hai, agar ho gaya, kya ho gaya? they're not the ones who will go out and burn someone. Uh, so purely in that kind of logic, it makes sense. From the logic of what we see around the world in Europe, I mean, it's the countries that are really poor, like some of the videos that I see, which are very disturbing from Africa, of people being burnt uh, in riots, or I see some videos from Brazil of, of the kind of violence that you see. You see such videos in India when that lynchings and, and people are uh, being beaten up or, or killed for being of a particular religion. Uh, so I think generally, if you were to see the macro data, that may be true. But I think it is a bit simplistic. I think there may be a little more than that, because even if you will not go and do that kind of stuff, what you can end up doing is in order to protect that economic, uh, that, that, that e the absence of violence is not peace, basically. The absence of violence can be fear as well. Like, you know, if a critical mass of people are okay with it, you don't need people to go out and beat people up. The state is enough. The bulldozers of state or, you know, people say, Yogi Ji's bulldozers will teach XYZ a lesson or will do this. So I, I don't think that is as comfort providing as, as one would think, Bhai, let's do well economically, everything will fall into place. I, I, I don't think it's that simple especially in societies like India and Pakistan, which are extremely layered and they're way more intertwined and complicated than Western societies. You know, the entire caste angle, religions, ethnicities, the history, the zamidar, like, but yes, I think it, it prevents a complete collapse. I think one of the biggest things where India and, you know, Pakistan kind of diverged, like in Divar, you know, with Amitabh and, Shashi Kapoor going on different paths. The whole religion thing is a very important thing, but I don't think it is the clincher. I think clincher was in India, the land reforms and people like Ambedkar and Periyar saying that society cannot live in these cocoons, that feudal thing that they collapsed, you know, even Vinoda Bhave for all his endorsement of the emergency and stuff. We had several reformists in that sense. And that is purely because India was not just Hindu and Muslim. It was caste. It was ethnicity. It was the, you know, the South and the, 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 the Tamil identity saying that we are not Hindi. And Pakistan could have had that, but East Pakistan and West Pakistan was not together. If it was together, maybe things would have been different. You know, there would have been that whole jostling for cultural identity. And I think those reformers in short India had a lot more chaos, but could power ahead with a informed, critical mass of what we call middle class, which statistically would not be middle class, but in the mindset, yes, for sure. Uh, and I think that was the big clincher, uh, which kind of saved India. And I still think, and I remember when we were young, People would give us the uh, example of uh, Pakistan where coke milta hai, habba milti hai, milta. In class two, three, because I, I remember, apparently, I don't know if it is true, that you could get coke in Pakistan, you could get habba also. Here you had this gum which was as hard as rock. And whoever got habba was like, 
clearly a millionaire. Uh, so uh, I, I think the reason that manufacturing and self-sufficiency in Pakistan could not emerge is because the alliance there was America. And ours was technically non-aligned, but Russia. And while a lot of people, you know, abuse Nehru for that, I think that was the smartest thing he did. Because I think any country in its infancy, when it's just learning to crawl and the toddlers just, the moment you ally with America, they will finish you, man. I think had Pakistan not been so closely aligned with America, things could have been a lot different. And I think that is something one's learned in history that an infant state should stay as far away from America as possible. And today we can abuse Nehru all we want. But had we gone down the way of being America's sidekicks, India would be a different place. The founders would argue that Pakistan would not have existed. That's maybe a different debate. Uh, all true, the yeah. military support that they got from the US, uh, there was a price to pay. So there was a quid pro quo there. If we do uh, do this as a sequitur into news laundry, maybe this would be a good segue into that. Can an ill-informed, can democracy flourish in an ill-informed populace? Well, I don't think so. I think, and I keep repeating this, I'm sure people who have heard me more than one occasion are sick of me saying the same thing and again, that, uh, that the reason the news media is considered the fourth pillar of democracy, and that is because... Uh, the other three pillars, the robustness and strength and quality of them is determined by a voting population. They decide what these pillars should look like through their vote. And voting is not the only way to exercise your democratic right. Right to Information Act, which is being murdered every day. There are various ways of engaging with governance and politics. Uh, and voting is one. But all these jostlings for activism, for you know, mind space, for... Uh, space in the public square uh, comes from uh, a citizenry that consumes information. And information consumption about the life around you is comes from news, especially governance. And when that pillar gets corrupted, when that pipeline gets corroded, societies will collapse. So I think, and there is history. I mean, you see Rwanda, you see Germany, you see Uganda. You see Spain during Franco's time. You see China. I mean, history is replete. Uh, Milosevic Thana, what was the, 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 in his time also, just, just the way they completely finished news. Um, and we saw what happened. So I think that is why an informed citizenry is very important to keep democracy alive and well. Otherwise, uh, it can go downhill very fast. I have a question for you. But once you're done, can I? About the social media's chaos theory, I think maybe for a very brief period of time, there was this notion of citizen journalism that everybody could have a voice and people tried controlling that, especially in Pakistan where our establishment has always been very fearful of the masses. So they tried controlling that before they realized, oh, we could just confuse them so much that they won't know what the truth is, where uh, Donald Trump did the same thing, where if you destroy the institutional credibility of papers like New York Times or CNN, one might question their bias, but if the New York Times says that there was a fire in the building yesterday, you couldn't question that. But maybe now you can if you're a Trump supporter, which is exactly yeah. what's happening in Pakistan as well. For what you might say about their political bias, Jung and Don were the two 
oldest, most credible news agencies. Now it's come to a point where Don might report an accurate fact uh, and people will think it's fake reality or it's alternate reality that they've created. So in a world where the news might show you a video clip and you might question that, it might, it's only going to get worse with AI coming on board. So for instance, yesterday, there was a rescue operation by the army. Uh, yeah. There was a chick that was stuck. There's widespread conspiracy theories on news, on social media. The army faked it, the army just to project themselves, um, halted the rescue operation that they did not actually rescue. So you've confused the masses with so much conspiracy that you've started questioning reality as you see it. Uh, in a world like that, how does news function or how does the news consumer stay sane? Well, it's a, it's a very difficult prospect. It's a very difficult proposition. And I think this is where, um, you know, something that had been started earlier when I was a child in school, which was EVS, environmental studies, that environment is a thing to be protected. It's important uh, and it had to be taught. Uh, similarly, uh, socially useful productive work, SUPW, which became a normal thing later. Uh, our generation is the one who, like it was introduced to us as a thing that you have to do this as part of school curriculum. You know, you go, whether you go cleaning litters around the city or you go to a Cheshire home uh, or you work with underprivileged kids, just to give you an idea that the world is not your little boarding school, you know. Um, I think media literacy will have to start from that. That what is news? Why is it important? Because, uh, and how do you consume it responsibly? How do you account for biases? I mean, there is something biased and there's something that's fake news. Like you've got to kind of separate the two. So it's becoming increasingly difficult. And I think this is where brands will be more important than they ever were. Uh, however, having said that, I will say that all the social media noise and the fake news becoming a thing, I still am more optimistic on the potential outcomes of, of the digital world uh, than the downsides. I agree with you that, you know, when you uh, read books like The Digital Age, I keep forgetting the three authors uh, who kind of wrote that. And I remember that was written, what, 12 years ago? There's a book called The Digital Age. It's It's got three authors. I think one of them is the founder of Google. Uh, and they had, I think it was written in 2010 or 11, and it had predicted when the ad spring happened, that you know, the social media will allow individual journalists, stories that could not come out early will come out. And it had a very... Um, uh, a happy and sanitized view of how the digital age will impact news media. And many things it had predicted, and these are really smart people. Uh, it's the opposite has happened. So, you know, having said that, I still think that the potential upsides are way, way more profound and significant. And I think we will get to see those in our lifetime. Uh, I think the, the uniform, uh, I, I think there's a lot more noise but that doesn't mean that there is not a lot more reason as well. The example I'll give you is that in 1984, what happened on the streets of Delhi, most of the country was not aware of it. I only got to know it when I grew up because what we saw on television was just the state television of Mrs. Gandhi's lying in, in ceremony. We didn't know what was happening on the streets of Delhi. The most horrible crimes being committed against a minority. But we know what happened in 2002 in, Ahmedabad, uh, in, in Gujarat. Because there were cameras there. Today, you know this. A lot has been happening which we're not aware of. Now, that is 
desensitizing a generation or it's giving making them oversensitive i don't know you know how it impacts the brain but i think net net future generations will understand a lot more on what is happening in the world and in different pockets and the human collective consciousness i think corrects for the better uh, and i think we will see that in the digital age people will know more they will know more ugliness they will know more horrific incidents they will know more of polarization and therefore they will know better how to correct it i that that's what i think maybe if we do look at these events in retrospect after 1984 uh i don't think there's been a repetition of that scale against that community whereas post 2002 where the populace was more informed we've seen an escalation of such events compared similarly in pakistan but historically maybe sometimes churches burned down maybe but the recent rise in crime and it being televised has almost resulted in it inspiring more people to do the same sure. their voices just become louder so just the fact that information is more readily available and it will appeal to the collective consciousness of humanity i think that hypothesis is being challenged a lot by recent events it is no doubt i think it's being challenged a lot uh, but but i still think there is a lot there that is yet to be played out i think many hands are not we are in the early stages of this this game of cards i think i think the large chunk of people are fencers and they will not push till they have to take a position and with time i think they will have to take a position it is going to be very difficult to not take a position on many of these things uh, because as you are exposed to it so uh, and in that sense i think civilization is called civilization because it demonstrates traits of being civilized uh, proponent of free speech normally i would be arguing the other side but since we are having this discussion if we are to make this pipeline remain free if we're discussing the rwandan genocide it was propagated by the radio uh, people who heard that engaged in it if we talk about what happened to the rohingya muslims uh, it was facebook it was a lot of these facebook posts and now we see a lot of these whatsapp forwards so if we are proponents of keeping this pipeline free and giving everybody access to put up whatever they want in this pipeline at the end of the, at the end of the day we know people are drinking this water so if somebody is poisoning and we are advocating for the pipeline to remain free as it is uh then we're also advocating for the rights for people to poison that pipeline and it ends up in the same homes of the same people that we want the information to go sure i agree with you also the whole uh, you know i have i think at least once or twice called myself a free speech absolutist but that was you know pre digital age being where we are now i think um as you see like for example the whole thing that before you could just put out information it would go across the world like you know i said that if i can't speak fire in the classic example yeah. speak fire in the sky is not free speech now our laws and our understanding of certain concepts was for the offline analog world but when you extend that same logic digitally it's not apples for apples it complicates things significantly so my understanding of free speech pre and post digital age is very different and even i've spoken to many free speech uh, advocates here in india uh, you know even they say we use the word absolutist very loosely it's it's nowhere is it absolute let's be clear 
the word absolutist is actually inaccurate. Uh, for example, even in a country like Germany, I cannot do the Heil Hitler salute and stuff. It's, it's illegal. In Rwanda, you cannot ask anyone. They're caste. You cannot say, it is against the law. I, I, I had gone there for a conference and I, I went to the museum, the genocide museum, and it was like ghastly. I mean, so I, I think in a lot of countries, uh, it takes an extreme injustice or an extremely horrific mass scale act of violence for people to recalibrate where they are on, on many issues, including what is freedom of speech. Uh, so in that sense, uh, my position has become a little more nuanced. Uh, but at the same time, I do think there is the bar to make it criminal should be very high. I can condemn it, I may say, but I will still err on the side of letting much of what you and I call hate speech be called out socially, but not be criminalized. I think there is a huge danger there. The only thing that I think one needs to do more of is have people speak up against it. What happens is in countries where institutions are not that robust, a law is used to curtail the freedom of speech of someone who's not said anything wrong. But someone's trying to hate you. You know, it's not equal. And because the law is not applied equally, you cannot have a very uh, utopian or why this should be the law. Sure, it should if it is applied the way it is intended. So otherwise, in an imperfect world, one has to account for imperfections. So I am not for criminality of, of hate. But I think when enough people of a certain disposition who are close to whichever is the ruling government are tried under that, suddenly the likelihood of that being used for, against it goes down. But then everybody starts using it. Because not all states are ruled by one party. No? They say, fine, you arrest five of us for that. We'll arrest five of us for the same thing over there. That's okay. Let's not use it. These so, principles are just as valid as how good the gatekeeper is. Twitter has become a much worse place than since Elon Musk has taken over. So Elon Musk's principles, Elon Musk's ideas about the world are suddenly being projected onto this digital media app, which we almost uh, looked at as an embodiment of freedom of speech. Right. A lot more you could say on Twitter now. And even community notes are biased. So then one can, one can maybe make the argument that a pre-community note, pre-Elon Musk world, where you were free to say anything on Twitter was a lot better in this controlled version. Uh, you hinted about it a few minutes ago, but I'd love for you to expand because I get accused of this often as well. I think uh, all of us are in search of that Walter Conkite idea of news, which simply does not exist. And it uh, personal pet peeve of mine as well that you should be objective and neut neutral, whereas it doesn't exist. As long as somebody comes out and says, this is my vantage point, this is how I see it, and this is what it is, I think that's as fair as something that you can ever get as opposed to somebody pretending that they're neutral and objective and feeding you bullshit. So in terms of ideas of neutrality, objectivity, and fairness in news, please, what's your thesis? So, I mean, we, we have a piece on news laundry, which I encourage everybody who joins us to read, that what is our position on news laundry? And when I say our position, I see a lot of, you know, typically legacy newspapers have the side edit, which doesn't carry a name. 
some of them like times of india used to have something called hour take uh, you know hindustan times also had a similar thing or you know all the papers are these nameless now i think that was a bad idea it may have been a good idea for its time but like all ideas it must evolve because it assumed that everybody in that organization would have that view or at least all the leaders and that need not be true in fact our podcast hafta was originally an exercise in transparency because our position was that we are not objective just the fact and this is you know when i invited to universities and 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 go and lecture i i say suppose you go to a village that has been hit by a flood five reporters go one reporter does a story on one woman who because all the humans are taken care of all the cattle and the animals and the dogs are drowning so she's you know created a little pen in a hillock to take care of animals that's a nice lovely feel good human interest story that sara attention sabka human spirit this woman has created a little place to protect animals one story is about let's say the army coming and rescuing people it's a feel good story dekho army aate one is a story of all the relief work that is coming some one is selling it in the black market from so that's a story of corruption one story is bhai ye kyu hua dekho climate disaster yahan par ek factory chal rahi thi they have eroded the mountain that is a you know environmental plus big industry killing the no one to pick one of these stories to do where's your objectivity you cannot do all objectivity is god's voice objectivity is math math is as close to objectivity as we can get nothing is objective you know not even science is objective and i say that and many scientists challenge me but that's more philosophical take which has i have arrived at that conclusion after reading a few books on this uh, so history proves that right science is historical maybe science itself as it's undiscovered is not racist but the scientists who were the positions of authority historically have been racist and that has seeped into what, what we call even even science itself an experiment like you know the light is it a wave or is it a you know the, the experiment will decide you know what which particular wave um your position will determine how you perceive something else so so, so yeah so so math itself at least conceptually 2 plus 2 is 4 here on saturn or in a black hole but we don't know if the laws of physics the way we understand them apply in a you know supernova or or one of those wormholes etc if they exist so so i mean of course you've gone to a different tangent but the thing is that objectivity but we must try and be fair and accurate accuracy is the first step to trying to be anything in the new space and this is where leadership comes in try to have a newsroom that has diversity of thought and opinion and let people articulate it because only that way can we crit- critically examine our own views our own beliefs have smart people do that i mean i'm not saying have the aman sharmas give them prime time i mean you cannot have see one is a tamasha you get an idiot to do a tamasha hey dekho hey oh i said i'm not talking about that but the leadership team of any news organization that is you know that wants to kind of challenge your mind so that diversity helps diversity fundamentally is a fantastic selfish uh, thing to do just to uh, inform yourself where to make yourself better and smarter so and that will say okay this is a story that i thought i thought this is the story but that person has given me a view that okay that's interesting as well um, you know for, for for example the, the whole bollywood being used by by politics 
we have not raised this question to the extent today because it's gone to a level where we see it too plainly <clears throat> but it's happened in the past as well in different ways so it allows us to see how things move <clears throat> it allows us to identify things so i think you can't be objective you can be fair and accurate try to be fair and can be accurate completely and as news professionals and this is why leadership matters if algorithms and systems could make anything work trump would not be able to destroy america that he has potentially being able to do because in america systems are very robust institutions are very robust the courts the media the federal structure but even one insane man is all it takes to you know toss it into a spin so context is the most important thing in news uh did person from community a kill person of community b maybe it's true in an environment x that story may be a benign banal story of crime in an environment y that story can have very different repercussions context matters uh therefore i think context setting is the job of the leadership team that's why you need people of experience in news to set the context these are times we live in like gulzar saab had said in the media rumble when he had come that poetry and cinema is not just the telling of a story it is the telling of these were the times we lived in when people 100 years from now will read my work or see my films they will say okay this is what the world was like in fact piketty in his book has taken uh, you know jane austen's novels to figure out what was the 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 purchasing power of a pound or then as opposed to now you know he says that such and such woman was to be engaged to such and such landlord who had an annual inheritance of xyz and he was considered very rich so by today's standard if that was very rich how is it you know people use literature for all sorts of economists use that to figure what was economic conditions social conditions what was love what was gender dynamic you know what was uh, uh, you know uh, you know just the the kind of lyrics that we hum uh, I, it's I, i'm losing it right now but it was a beautiful song by devanand that i love humming but when you examine its lyrics it basically something to the tune of that don't look at me like that or i will do a galti and then then basically it's dude whether you say yes or no i'm going to come out now it's a very beautiful song with him and sadhana it's but when you hear it today a woke child will say how can those lyrics be acceptable but it tells you about that what was love back then what was society back then so context setting is a question of experience so i think editors and leaders need to set the context for reporters because these are the times we're living in these are the values that are being challenged these are the values that have been established these are the values of our founding fathers which you may agree or disagree with in that context what do you think is an important story to do if you only have three stories to do if you have 20 reporters if you don't have beats and then the reporters go out and do the stories with a commitment to facts context setting is the leadership's job i think that's as that's my take on objectivity uh, which and also i don't think nameless edits should be there if i have some to say it should say abhinandan is saying that news laundry it nahi the many news laundry who disagree with me and people who listen to hafta can vouch for that 
Bollywood to has always been to ha kar ya na kar tu hai meri karan. There was a similar discussion around Baby It's Cold Outside that had the same notion. Yeah. <laughs> considered flirting back then. Uh, what would you say about lazy journalism that people tend to feign neutrality and this is the maybe the urbanization of news where if you call a party member from each of the popular parties somehow it's become objective somehow it's become neutral because you you're getting everybody's take but it's it's lazy is disingenuous so what's your general take on this both siding of every issues where people pretend to be neutral and objective just by inviting two people and having them have a go at each other i mean it's just it's a circus prime time is a circus uh and you know i've seen and and that's true across the world i've seen that in the us i've seen that in i mean i don't know to what extent that's true in germany or france uh, but american culture and media is what we consume a lot of it's true for that as well um, you know just the whole you'll call one mullah you'll call one sadhu and you'll just get them fight with each other both will be the worst representations of their religions but that is what basically you're competing with reality tv and it's cheaper big boss may have 70 cameras you have just five and you can still create that kind of uh, disgusting uh, kind of uh, conversations and and engagement and say theek hai we'll rake it in so it's not even journalism it's a reality show but you do that the damage it does to people who think they're consuming news is dissignificant and you do that to make certain political masters happy and that that is a huge disservice to news it is a huge disservice to journalists and i know a lot of young journalists who are very disillusioned i mean i get so many texts and and emails from people who are sitting in these newsrooms saying please get me out of here and i i, I feel heartbroken there are so many people who came in to do journalism who want jobs but these are the only jobs available so i mean yeah media in pakistan has always been state controlled from 2018 we saw the same pejization with media and establishment media was muzzled now that the establishment is against against media muzzled on the other side but even in india over the past decade we've seen this idea of godi media why do you think that's prevalent is it just uh saying truth to power is dangerous or is it because it sells is it easier to get ads is it that the populace is behind modi or all those things you know all of those and all those things but most importantly sarkari ads you'll need to have me back for one hour podcast on this whole revenue model because i can go on and on about this whole the incentives are lined up all inaccurately it is a classic case of market failure where more brands have not made a better product it has not led to more optimization of resources oh i mean i could just go on but yes it is all those things you said and some more uh, which is why what makes it you know what it is but uh, without it's a very very long complicated answer uh, the ad funded model where your eyeballs are competing with reality shows earlier if you wanted news you bought a newspaper you want to be entertained you went to the cinema there was a very different space a different product to get a different outcome or to satiate a different desire now you know this 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 one instrument completely dissimilar things are competing for for the same dollars earlier you know the, the news was not competing for jumma jumma lele now you are competing for the same so you it's that that it's it's very complicated the market has 
you have investors and investors tend to not be so excited about news for a variety of reasons especially in countries like pakistan and india but i think to begin with if you have some crutch of being able to subsidize it somehow with whatever your other businesses so that you don't have to spend a lot of money once you achieve that critical mass of first 2000 people who are paying you see so you don't need millions and you know 10 million viewership or we don't go for traffic because traffic of 5 million to 10 million 10 million to 20 million is not going to make our team grow because we don't take ads we've turned off ads on our youtube because it doesn't even make sense financially and i can get into that if we talk about the entire revenue model it, you know the cpi used to be <clears throat> whatever 400 bucks 350 400 bucks per thousand views 10 years ago today it's what 50 40 35 rupees google ads which is 120 140 bucks today 17 rupees 15 rupees the amount of hits you have to get is so i mean it's even the arithmetic doesn't work the first 2000 people will give you enough resources to create content um i want to correct myself to create new stories because content is a different thing to create new stories which give you the credibility for the next 1000 to the next 1000 so it's a slow step up uh, it's going to be very very difficult i'm not saying impossible it's going to be difficult in societies like india and pakistan a because our purchasing power per capita income is a fraction of what it is in western countries where this model is very effective i had uh, the founder of their correspondent at the media rumble at our event uh, a few years ago when he started he, he like he could understand like what do you mean people will not pay he could not understand people will not pay like you know he and about i think a dozen journalists started this and the first week i think they got some 3 4 million dollars euro jo bhi abhi wahan dete hain log yaar unke paas paise hain yahan logon ke paas paise paise nahi hai the few who have money as a percentage out of that most of them don't give a shit about news that and the ones who do may not so as a percentage of the country it's a small number but because purely we have so many people in absolute numbers it's not so small and i think messaging is important you got to message it that this is why it matters i think news launch from the beginning we did not hedge our bets we didn't say i'm ad bhi lenge so we said when the public pays the public is served and you got to take an absolute position on that later you can hedge and figure out what is the best model but you have to take your <clears throat> subscribers and supporters al- along and we have to explain to them why this matters why you have to do this i think you have to ask and ask again and again and i would and before we started news laundry it, you know it's one of those serendipity you just things fall into place i happen to have seen this ted talk by uh, amanda palmer on the art of asking uh, she launched her career not by some big uh, sony music or someone giving her money just people who contributed money so that she could do concerts from one place to the other someone would give a van someone would give a hall someone would give the audio equipment and how she became this international star by just asking people for money and what i say is that uh, you know 
and I tell the reporters because some of them are awkward. They don't like to ask. Says, does your doctor ever feel awkward asking for money? Does your lawyer? Does your teacher? We are in that profession. We are in the zone of lawyers, doctors, teachers. You don't have to say I'm doing you a favor, but at the same time, you don't have to be embarrassed. You should be more embarrassed asking, you know, Patanjali or government or or Adani or Ambani for ads than asking your viewer. And this is, I mean, so many trolls, of course, like they think it fucking makes me shit of a different set. Abe bhik mange, abe tu to mang rahe. Mere ka beta, main jinse mang raha hu, kallo mujhe eh nahi bolenge, mere bangle pe aake batana kya story ki thi. Tumhare news source jinse mang rahe na, kallo phone karke bole, tumhari saari team aegi, yaha pa bhangda karegi, wo karenge. Mere subscriber ye mange ke nahi bhi, mange ke bhi to bolunga, mein nahi karunga boss. Tum jaise 10, 12, 15,000 hai mere paas. तुम में से 400 अगर ऐसी बात करें 400 और बोलेंगे नहीं लेकिन एडवर्टाइजिंग में तुम्हारे चार मास्टर हैं भीख वहां से मांग रहे हो तुम हम नहीं मांग रहे डॉक्टर आपसे भीख नहीं मांगता टीचर आपसे भीख नहीं मांगता तो मैं तो कहता हूं यू शुड नॉट बी सेल्फ कॉन्शियस व्हेन यू आस्क पीपल टू पे have you ever thought about being beholden to the subscriber base abhi jo zain unis wali podcast thi wo india mein usko bahut traction mili because he was praising modi and the technology and the economy so we got a lot of modi supporters on the podcast and then ye bahut easy mere liye model hai agar main har hafte ek pakistan mein baitha praising modi podcast karu wo har hafte viral jayegi bahut paisa aayega but i mean i didn't fall into that trap right we're still critical of modi and we still get abused by the same people who are praising us for that podcast रिपोर्टर्स ground reports and journalism <clears throat> today i am not that relevant to news laundry the faces of news laundry are basant or manisha or atul you know a wonderful reporters like sumedha pratik you know we have fantastic reporters anmol he does an amazing job you know these guys if i vanish from the scene news laundry is still fine people are not paying abhinandan sekri they are paying news laundry for our reporting they were paying abhinandan sekri 8 years ago for my face and my cheekiness and how i interviewed today no one gives a shit about that man so if i want to run a youtube channel you're right i have to pander but i'm not trying to run a youtube channel i'm trying to run an organization that does journalism and for a journalistic organization that will not work economics doesn't work you will need to get 10 billion hits to be able to get enough money to five, fund five stories main bata raha tha na cpi matlab kya hota tha 400 rupaye aaj kya hai kya uh, if you are if you log in from india you get a 300 rupee and a 1000 rupee option if you log in from overseas you only get the 10000 rupee annual option and we will probably you know make it even more this thing dollars mein kar denge so that people can pay more But that is typically what it is right now. Actually, what is it? How many subscribers? Now, we are about 14,000. 14,000, 14,000 paying subscribers. 
क्योंकि जब मैं सब्सक्राइबर बोलता है कई लोग बोलते हैं बस चौदह सब्सक्राइबर है यूट्यूब पे मिलकर यूट्यूब पे वन मिलियन है हमारे लिए जिनको हम सब्सक्राइबर बोलते हैं हम सब्सक्राइबर उनको बोलते हैं जो हमें पैसा देता है दो हजार सब्सक्राइबर of your world view it is a question of time before you will want to finish everybody except yourself it is a very insular uh, even for self preservation if you don't have that value don't expect much out of any civilization that you hope to be a part of how will it affect the social fabric of indian society if modi loses in 2024 well i i don't think one election win or loss Changes the fabric of society in such a profound way. It takes a while, um, but I think um, more important than a Modi winning or losing, I think it is uh, uh, the entire gamut of what constitutes pop culture determines uh, which way society moves. In that sense, I think it could kind of people may have the courage to say a lot more than they have right now, but that entire you know. turbulence between ideas and ideologies will continue in a country like india i don't think that is going anywhere in a hurry what he learned under madhudharan and why is madhudharan so rarely seen on news laundry well cuz madhud retired i think 3 or 4 years ago uh, i have learned uh, journalism from madhud rehan of i'm very proud uh, i think madhu is uh, a rock star i don't think there's any bigger name in indian journalism than her i think the only reason she is not quoted as liberally and is not celebrated is a she was ever always reluctant to receive awards so that about this award i wouldn't know that award i don't journalists should not accept awards so so that's i think people said should let's not give her but i think she is to journalism what amitabh bachchan is is to bollywood i don't think today's generation understands a that they don't realize that she is the one who is the founder of india today she is the founder of tv today Uh, you know all this india and aaj tak jis jis kile mein wo baithe hain uski neev madhu ne rakhi hai people don't realize what a big name she was in the 80s um, so yeah and she's an amazing person i mean there very there very few people like her and i could go on and on uh, but um uh, and you don't see her now because you know she's uh, you know she's retired and but we still meet regularly she keeps giving me uh, advice on you know what kind of stories are important which way the news space is going etc etc she's full of ideas man and she's been full of ideas for the last 40 years it's amazing one wonder who's the recover lesson ke ye ye lesson that other people can also take from madhu always be combative she is forever combative whoever comes whoever goes she's that that's why i think i i look up to her so much because even i am very combative she won't back off from a fight i like that about her please do ask him about his philosophy on karere channa karera <laughs> karare chane i used to 
on a show i used to copy uh, rahul shivshankar he was a prime time actor uh, anchor of times now so his voice he'd anchor in there this voice like karare chane karare lele karare le so i do that little thing so it became <laughs> in fact where's my mug we even have these karare chane mugs which are very popular hmm. about the recent comments about chandrayaan 3 in the light of russia sending its moon mission and the us preparing to do so as well i have we had a uh, podcast i think 2 3 weeks ago about the chandrayaan going so it was a i think one and a half hour two hour podcast <clears throat> so in fact um, that was charcha which is atul's podcast she is the host she was asking everybody what is your view so actually i had a whatever 10 minute intervention where i said i don't have a position on it <clears throat> and in that context i had said you know there could be people who say x people who say y as and from the limited understanding that i have you know people stopped going to the moon in the 60s or 70s when i was the last you know it was sent you know, i think it was 70s um so i mean does has anything good come out of it I, and my position is still the same it's ambivalent i mean i i don't no one has been able to convince me of some big benefit that will come out of it and uh, at the same time like the internet was a creation of the military so you could say that something as destructive as the army created the military us military created something that has benefited so many so maybe there are some spin off benefits that come out of any space program uh, so similarly i think certain technology are created for this and that can be used for something else so like i said i don't have a very firm position on whether it's good or bad or russia should go or anyone should go but to the best of my understanding making fun of it prakash sorry i'm actor prakash who got an fir against him for making fun of it yeah yeah he had put out a, a cartoon which is basically a a mallu t seller on the moon and it's a very old joke ki what did neil armstrong see when he went to the moon so if you're a punjabi the joke is he saw santa singh with his dhaba and if you're a south indian the joke was you saw mallu pistol so i mean you could so he was showing a mallu it's a very old joke so i really don't know why it is but we live in an age where bhai to na such tucha tucha thing fire fire ho rahi hai matlab log mar rahe hain log bachchon ko attack ho raha hai rapes ho rahe hain us par fire hi nahi hoti kisi ne ek joke matlab that is this is the, and and the thing is that see two is it energizes the twitter trolls and some mm. of them actually think it makes a difference to the lives of a prakash raj or even to a small person like me it makes no difference at all but yet what it does is it activates a parallel kind of thing that of fire karo ye karo i am under the will that prakash raj will go to jail for that it it won't happen but because he is high profile it can be used to tell everybody you watch it the same why profound indian journalism bent backwards in the face of state might with little or no resistance to i think we've discussed that thing eh? one yeah. something why no. did he part part ways with anand ranganathan i didn't part ways with him he was a consulting editor here and i mean i i don't want to get into the entire sordid okay. saga Next. a question about economics of running an online news portal and what besides passion keeps it going it would be good to know the logistics and non editorial work that occurs behind the scenes in addition you know this is very long we have discussed it briefly with you 
but uh, i have also discussed in some detail with ablok nagar on scoop poop he had done into with me i think it was called unscripted um so you can check that out it is a i mean it'll take me a long time to explain the economics what i do why i do etc etc but it is a um, uh, you know i mean there are many, many moving parts yeah maybe we can have you again sometime to discuss all of this we've seen news laundry being persecuted over the last years by ed despite that what are the bright spots you see for media in india or is it all doom no i see bright spots it was not it is the it department in cryptax I, i still keep getting notices etc but i i think there are enough bright spots there are many people who want to you know support journalism there are many people who think it's important uh, there are many people who want to support you but are too scared to speak uh, who are there in legacy media outfits so i'm i'm generally an optimist so i always see the bright side and i i love combat so yeah i i'm okay with it ask him about the news click fiasco what's the news click fiasco news click is a portal i mean a new york times did a story it became a huge issue it has taken up in parliament it has become a political hot potato but the new york times story did not reveal anything that wasn't already there they had also been raided by the it on where they got their funds etc from and that is first i mean that is carrying on but the new york times report suddenly gave it a, a new philip where it became a media event but um, it's it started like 3 years ago nothing nothing new has really happened as such what do you think of news media's being compelled to which i think should happen they should let everybody know it should be public who's funding news organization i think that should be public information yeah i i completely agree i think it should be public <clears throat> i think what their ad government ads come i think because that should be covered under rti as because that's tax paying citizens ad, uh, money we should be told that this much money is gone to this channel this much money one should not have to do investigative journalism for that so i absolutely agree that they you know where the revenue is coming from it should be transparent ask him his views on meghnath leaving news laundry and whom does he think is the journalist in india who researches a lot and is precise before publishing or broadcasting when meghnath had moved to a it wasn't a news platform it was a general podcast platform called ivm um but i think there are many journalists who and platforms who actually really are very robust in their analysis their critique their data gathering etc i mean i will not take one or two names but there are a lot of horrible journalists but they're very there are many good ones as well uh, yeah okay news laundry always has a satirical take on politicians media and other powerful people how do they deal with the pressure exerted on them by these giants part of the deal yeah part of part of the course i think it's the job of the leadership of any organization to uh, make sure that the pressure is not felt by the reporters because they should be able to do what they do without fear or favor so the job of management is to absorb that basically and that is what i think all management should do i used to write satire for dawn express friday times last i was writing for the herald fir wo magazine hi band ho gaya kuch masle masail bhi hue the so how does one do satire in a world this that 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 is this ridiculous because a lot of times i used to write satirical pieces or three mahine baad wo ho jata tha Uh, and I, I, I can't out ridicule reality at this point, which is why I stopped writing. So, what's your take on doing satire in an incre- increasingly ridiculous reality that we live in? Well, I think content is for 
forming the basis of satire is all around us i think it makes us think a little harder uh figure out formats that are a little more clever uh but i think there is a lot more that can be done it's just a little harder to do it so you know it challenges your creativity in ways where it is a little easier earlier because things are not as bizarre and ridiculous as they are now uh so yeah i i think there are you know for example i still find anwar maksud's loose talk phenomenal i had discovered it years ago and i used to watch it regularly uh and and uh, you know that tradition of political satire was way more evolved in pakistan back then than it was here there was a tradition of it which you saw a lot of uh, but i mean i don't know how the military rule and you know the extremists taking over has affected it i mean i'm sure it has in some way or the other but uh, because of the restrictions and we said something recently which was critical of anwar maksud so i was trolled for that as well that doesn't mean i'm not a fan of loose talk sure uh, exactly and, i get what you're saying you 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 very critical of people who you also appreciate yeah. for other stuff yeah. but i think satirists in pakistan needed to be much cleverer back because of the restrictions which is why the art that was produced was much better it was it needed to be to avoid arrest it needed to be more subtle so it, it stands the test of time that's at least how i see it uh, but just out of curiosity what what was your critical comment on anwar maksud uh, so i have one i have one critique of him uh, which is significant I, but i i think uh, it's often misattributed to terry pratchett so i'm not sure if he said that or not but he said uh, satire is punching up if you're already making fun of the marginalized that's not satire so i think often times anwar maksud is guilty of posing up to the establishment and punching down on marginalized communities and a lot of his jokes rely on racist stereotypes sure. so even during loose talk there is one episode in which moin akhtar bangladeshi cricketer as, as a bengali and they're mocking bangladesh so like you said context matters right so in a society which pakistan did 1971 to bangladesh and the history right. of the food yeah. that was so pakistani to sit and mock bengalis in a society like pakistan uh, yeah. it's just it's punching way down from an ivory tower and anwar often has been guilty of doing that that does not negate all the other work that he's done he's a product of oh. his time but one can criticize his positionality in a lot of things he's said uh, while appreciating a lot of his work but i think this nuance is lost on a lot of people who worship heroes yeah also i think one thing that came through in his satire which you know he was funny like for example i'm a huge fan of bill ma but do i agree with everything he says no i think sometimes he is outright ridiculous and i think because of his age catching up with him he's becoming more and more defensive about about many of his positions that make him say things which are a bit bizarre but as a body of work he's got an amazing body of work uh, um, but on anwar maksud one thing that i think came through in much of his work is i found him a I I I figured in real life he'd be a real snob and elitism at a level which you know his his uh, his making fun of people who did not know literature and urdu the way he thought people should know his I I somehow got that from his his satire that he he is uh, a privileged elitist uh, but I I don't know if that's true and I don't know him personally but you might get the same feeling from larry david but larry david's comedy is not that right so anwar maksud 
made one video for his youtube channel where he said where he pretended to be the sindhi who is very jahil who is very unpart and he was mocking the sindhi accent and then he had to also apologize for that maybe in 2023 2022 these things are a lot more jarring but these things were a lot more acceptable 10 years ago 20 years ago where yeah. they were not questioned so some people did not like the fact that we were questioning that but right. a lot of this comedy and not just his is a product of his time as sure. does did umar sharif's umar sharif's comedy is also very sexist that that does not mean umar sharif was not a phenomenal comedian he's really sure. funny a lot of the jokes were sexist both these things can be true at the same time what exists yeah absolutely yeah i mean dave i think dave chapel is the greatest living stand up comedian who i feel a lot of the jokes are transphobic 100% both these things are true hmm. right how does he deal with his own countrymen calling him anti national <laughs> i i really don't care uh, it's, it's uh, par for the course what does he think about the print i think it i like it more than news laundry or the wire because they give more information and less opinion uh, well the print has i think anything from 150 200 pieces that go up a day we probably have 10 so it's a different kind of print is like a newspaper the, the volume of stuff that it churns out is 10 to 15 times ours do you feel there's a difference between political activism and political journalism do you feel political activism is masking as political journalism these days you know again that's a kind of complicated answer is required for that question but i think the lines often get blurred and one should be aware that as a journalist and not an activist but what is the definition of activist also will determine what is your position on this an activist in today's day and age has kind of become this professional or this you know it is this lifestyle choice uh, i have when i was younger described activism as just getting involved with the world around you you can be a chartered accountant <clears throat> and activism is a part of your job do your accounts honestly you can be a actor and activism is part of your job so in one sense of how i define or how i saw activism we are all doing what we are doing to make things better whether it is laying roads whether it is balancing books whether it's making art or whether it's doing journalism but to become a cheerleader for an ideology becomes a bit complicated uh, and it could compromise journalism but this is not a black and white answer it is nuanced uh, i think journalism has a certain element of activism in it but are you an activist that depends on what you consider an activist i mean am i running an ngo and my salary comes from that or am i a professional who's trying to make the world better through my work it's you know it's what what are his thoughts on the challenges faced by independent media organizations in india especially in terms of funding and sustainability how does he ensure that news laundry maintains its editorial independence and integrity especially when covering politically sensitive topics i mean we discussed that briefly during this uh, more or less the questions humne around those discussed kar liye this is maybe a fun question to end it on you have to ask him about his interview with vivek agnihotri his love for punjabi music uh baki the cheeze hum discuss kar so yeah that was an interesting interview and i mean, look at the times we live in that that interview you know went viral whereas <laughs> he've done a lot more smarter interviews but i mean yeah vivek agnihotri became this pop culture phenomenon uh, he used media very well to create a niche and an image of himself uh, i think to an extent we kind of were able to 
unmask just how actually ignorant he is uh, and and where he comes from uh, but it was a fun interview I mean, funnily enough most people when they see that interview and they see how on twitter he went at me and all that they would think after the interview we were very angry after the interview he came up we had lunch we sat together we chatted and it is only when the interview went online and he realized how stupid he looked is when he suddenly became so angry when he did it he didn't realize he had made such a fool of himself you see he is that he's that foolish until it is shown to him and he didn't even realize so yeah uh, sorry two people have done that to me ke podcast ke baad chai pe baithe hain teen char ghante chill kiye hain once the podcast goes up and people say things then they're like oh miss what question yeah. did you have for me i had a question and you can cut this out if it's not Any. you know because we've had a frank chat and because i'm you know just amazed at how honestly you can discuss things you know i always when i come to lahore also um you know people are very sweet and we had come for the rafi peer performing arts festival <clears throat> and that whole thing of you know there was no you're from india and you know although you know kargil had happened less than 3 4 years when i had come 99 2000 it happened i had come then 2003 or 4 you know so i used to stop stay away from talking about india versus pakistan because i thought that always took a otherwise wonderful evening downhill because when you scratch the surface everyone had a predictable response and in my head what i figured is because some of those people i was fairly friendly with it is very difficult to reconcile for a young person of being pakistani being proud of your pakistani identity but yet saying that you know what happened was a mistake that whole desire for a country based on because then you're you're questioning your identity it's like basically if you've grown up it's like a a communist from the childhood suddenly they come into adulthood and they say you know what the the market makes sense you cannot like debunk your entire existence or any ideology like someone who's from the rss suddenly saying that you know what muslims are great man we should have one of them leading the rss you know what it you then you question your own identity do you think that's a thing do you think don't you think isn't that true for everybody if an american is now combating the idea of what christopher columbus did and america has built on first the genocide of the first americans and then slavery how do you combat or how do you grapple with the contradiction that you're a proud american and you're going to support america in games and war no, no i'm not talking about time, the ethos of your country is slavery and genocide it's the same with canada where they wiped out the first nation to build canada in australia they wiped out the aborigines france talks about uh, the french revolution but france is built on Af- colonialism in africa so there is a dark history of every single country and one doesn't need to be maybe proud of every single thing that's done in the name of your country no, i'm not, i'm not talking about acts of your founders i'm talking about the act of coming into existence that's why i'm saying your identity i'm not saying of course you know they can you can be very critical of what um they did to uh, the, the americans you know when they actually got there so many horrible things that have happened i'm talking about but they can say but we founded a country and this country has done well for itself 
the idea that we should found this country and we did a lot of injustices a lot of horrible things happened but what has emerged is a country where civil rights is a thing a martin luther king you know and it is a country where we are powerful you know another country can say something else the fact that we will form a country because we cannot survive in an india together but that the very act of founding that country being considered a, you know maybe we should have just been one india that is what i'm talking about these are uh, historically incidental i mean it's the whole idea of imagined communities and benedict anderson right uh, anytime anybody notions to a moment in past to whether fall on to notions of akhand bharat or a greater pakistan or a south asian identity that's always existed these notions of borders and communities has always been fluid in fact the whole idea of nation states is a lot more recent than one would think it's it's that whole westphalian idea so a nation state i see it as being historically incidental as opposed to what pakistan would like to project as if it was the destiny when the first muslim came to pakistan came to this region for pakistan to exist or for maybe somebody in india to think that there would one day be a akhand bharat where all of this territory is actually pakistan is actually india maybe somebody from afghanistan would lay claim to kp they're culturally similar so these notions of what your nation should have been and these myths of greatness maybe exist in the minds of some people those are not myths that one needs to necessarily uh, internalize for you to feel proud of your country right if pakistan's playing in the world cup i'm supporting them i'm going insane it's going to affect my life personally but does that mean if i celebrate shaheen afridi taking a wicket i'm necessarily celebrating what happened in 1971 or every single ill that's been done and continues to be done in the name of the state of pakistan i don't think it's that singular or it's that unified in terms of your identity and the whole notion of the pakistani identity my problem is the state has always projected it to be very singular and that's happened at the expense of the whole idea of multiple identities which which as we discussed i think the whole idea of pan india is what kept india together it might seem uh, contradictory that once you celebrate diversity the chances of unity are a lot more as opposed to trying to push a unified idea of a pakistani so i have that challenge that notion a lot and i don't personally feel that there is a contradiction that Well, how can you celebrate being a Pakistani when you're conscious of what's been done in the name of Pakistan? It's same for most countries. The history of mankind or humanity is littered with dead bodies. Uh, sometimes done in the name of religion, sometimes done in the name of nation. Great. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hopefully, for all the things that you said, that a घंटे घंटे का आंसर है. I can bother you in a few months again. And yeah, sure. get those घंटे घंटे के answers for that. Yeah, and 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 let's see what are the repercussions of of talking to a Chinese podcast uh, of of talking to a <laughs> Pakistani podcaster. Will it suddenly be from China? I have become a Pakistani agent, right? It would be interesting to see how how the trolls on Twitter take to this. Already started watching trolling. I mean, I asked him on Twitter, and I was like, "What happened? But he uh, found it <laughs> But thank you so much, man. Wonderful talking thank to you. you. Thank you so much, and thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for listening. Yeah. See you, man.